In season four of Mega Dumbcast, I unearthed and punched open the secrets of Shadaloo, buried on each and every goddamn page of the aptly named Secrets of Shadaloo, a supplement for the Street Fighter storytelling game. Along the way, I blazed a trail into M. Bison's island headquarters of Mriganka, where I encountered some of Shadaloo's most intriguing gaming possibilities, yet left many still to be discovered. This week, the time has come to go back. Join me now in revisiting Mriganka. Yes, you heard the intro right. MDC is back with bonus episodes to talk even more about Street Fighter. I know, never since my family and friends in the mid-90s has anyone been as surprised that I can talk so much about Street Fighter as I am right now. But here we are. I, j- I just have more to say. There's so much to say about Mriganka. Listen, you don't know what it's like to record and make a dumb cast. Only I know that. What it's like is you open a page of absolute overflowing batshit in a book like Secrets of Shadowloo, and you pick out like one or two things, and you talk about them, and then you move on. Some days it's really hard to find the thing to talk about. Other days, it's like standing in that wind tunnel machine that like blows the money around in a circle around you, and you're supposed to like reach out and grab it in a very undignified way on television in front of everyone. And then at the end, you know, you've got fistfuls of money, and maybe that's $50, maybe that's $100, maybe that's $1,000, but there were so many dollars in the wind tunnel. If only I could go back in there. There are so many dollars left to grab. And I have so much dignity yet to sacrifice. On the TV shows where they do the money wind tunnel, you are not afforded that option. But here in the world of podcasting, where nobody gives a fuck, I can do as I please. So here we are for a week to go back into the wind tunnel. We're going to go back in. We're going to be revisiting Mriganka. Let me take a moment to explain the joke. A lot of people can't hear the M at the beginning of Mriganka. Okay, it's spelled like that. M-R-I-G-A-N-K-A. And we are revisiting Mriganka. Presumably, you'll see this little joke that I've made in the title of the series on your podcatcher of choice. But in case you're not reading the titles or episode descriptions and you're just hearing it, just know I made a little joke. I don't need you to like it. I just need you to acknowledge it. Anyway, we're going to be talking a lot about Secrets of Shadowloo, about the Street Fighter role-playing game. And ultimately, we're going to bring all those ideas back into how you could use Mriganka in a role-playing setting. However, I'm not just going to be drawing from Secrets of Shadowloo. As much as there is there... There's a world of Street Fighter media outside of the role-playing game. And while very little of it mentions or interacts with Mriganka at all, a little bit of it does. That's what really put me down this path of making these bonus episodes, is Mriganka was so intriguing to me because you don't see it mentioned elsewhere in Street Fighter media very much. So I went searching on the internet for it, and you'll find very little mention of Mriganka elsewhere. But I did find someone on a forum, and unfortunately I've forgotten this person's name, uh, I, I can't credit them, but you know, probably this is like one of those regular people who stops caring about Street Fighter at a point in their life, so they don't care what we do here. But this person on this forum was like, hey guys, I was just reading Street Fighter versus G.I. Joe, and it turns out that M. Bison is the dictator of an island nation called Mriganka. That would have been nice to know, like all these years that I've been closely following the dictatorship career of M. Bison, and I had so many reactions all at once. Number one, a kindred spirit. Deep soul connection. I too have followed Bison's career with interest. Number two, what the fuck? Mriganka is in Street Fighter versus G.I. Joe. Number three, close behind, maybe more like a number 2B, there's a Street Fighter versus G.I. Joe? I was hooked. I had to know more. And so I went out and I tracked down this comic and that led me to other comics, other media. And I tried to make as complete a survey as I can of all of the outside media that interacts 
with using Marie Gonka in a role-playing game. Some of this is Street Fighter media. Some of this is other stuff that's not Street Fighter branded, but had some connection, some some influence or lens on the island nation of Marie Gonka as a role-playing setting. And so every day this week, I'm going to present an episode about one of those spheres of Mrigonkin inquiry that I pursued. You can see why this took so long. There was a long hiatus between the season and these bonus episodes. I've been working very hard. Honestly, my vacation should be starting now. But here I am back at work because the field of Mrigonkin studies waits for no one. Anyway, today's topic is the one that started this whole dark path into Mrigonkin secrets for me, the comic books, specifically the uh, quite popular and long-running Udon comic books. Now, the Udon comics kind of have their own continuity They're definitely distinct from the video games, but they're a damn sight closer than the role-playing game is. And because they continued past the mid-90s, they picked up later developments in the storyline of the games, which have since become integral to the world of Street Fighter. More importantly, I would say the Udon comics are probably the single significant area of Street Fighter media that features Mrigonka. Mrigonka is mentioned by name, scenes take place there, we see things happening there. So today we're just taking kind of a tour through everything we see about Mrigonka in the Udon comic books. And we're going to start with the most central feature of Mrigonka and of Shadaloo and of M. Bison's existence that is not featured at all in the role-playing game, which is the Psycho Drive. The Psycho Drive uh, had not been invented yet as of the time of the role-playing game, and it's a damn shame because it really is fruitful for speculation. Despite having really gone on a Street Fighter bender... In the process of prepping for this series, I have not gotten a satisfactory answer as to what the Psycho Drive is. I do have ideas about what it does. They're kind of contradictory from source to source. It's almost more uh, uh, symbolic or even metaphorical, I would say. It's not like your conventional, you know, supervillain laser cannon or whatever. It's more like the Holy Grail. In the Udon comics, the Psycho Drive is portrayed as kind of a tank, like a, like a back-to-tank from Star Wars, kind of, that M. Bison gets into to power up. Um... The first thing I noticed about Bison's use of the Psycho Drive in the comics is that Bison, at first I thought had to be naked to use the Psycho Drive, but I increasingly think Bison chooses to be naked to use the Psycho Drive because he sleeps in it. Like when trouble arises, somebody goes to fetch in Bison from the Psycho Drive if he's sleeping at the time, and then he steps out of the Psycho Drive and he's all naked. In the very first issue of the Street Fighter series, and there are a bunch of different like, series by Udon set in the Street Fighter universe, but this is the actual series entitled Street Fighter. Um, In the first issue of that comic, when M. Bison steps out of the Psycho Drive, naked, just striding, just shirtless, naked as the day that God made him, presumably on a bet. The person there to brief him, I mean inform him. Vega is there to inform him of everything that's going on. M. Bison is just considering the state of his criminal empire, standing there next to Vega, probably the most beautiful man in the world, just letting his balls hang anywhere. We don't see the testicles. Comic book artists, of course, known for their cowardice when it comes to male anatomy, but we can see what's happening. We know what's going on. He's standing next to Vega. Vega is clothed. Bison is naked. This is a CMNM scenario, the rarest combination found on the gendered nudity Punnett Square, and Bison is just treating it as casual. It's possible that the Psycho Drive requires M. Bison to be naked to uh, fully absorb its power. Maybe the clothes block it in some way. Maybe it's a matter of his psychological state. I don't know. That's plausible. I don't think it's the case. I think M. Bison goes in the psycho drive when he needs to sleep. And when M. Bison needs to sleep, he sleeps in the nude. Because number one, while he has his insecurities, his body is not one of them. He doesn't give a damn. He's not awkward looking down at his own dick. 
It's just like the rest of his body, another deadly weapon. M. Bison knows 25 ways to kill a man with his dick. I read it in a fanfic one time. But more importantly than him being comfortable with his body, I think this is just a big power move for M. Bison because when there's a crisis, when there's trouble, whether it be Street Fighter related or foreign government related, maybe a crime boss needs to be put into line. Whenever the flashing red phone with a little red dictator hat rings and M. Bison needs to be woken up in the middle of the night by one of his subordinates, he goes to work naked. When he needs to talk to the president of the United States, he talks to the president of the United States standing at a desk with his complete hobo bindle pendulous, just hanging out, maybe on the desk, does not care. And his subordinates, because this is a crisis situation, they need to attend in Bison. He needs a body man in this scenario. He needs, this is the West Wing. He's got people running back and forth with papers. We're doing walk and talks in the hallway, all while Bison is fully naked. This is like that scene from Stephen Moffat's Sherlock, where Sherlock meets Irene Adler. And normally Sherlock is really able to get a read on people, but because Irene Adler is totally naked, he gets nothing from her. Except that's stupid. When someone lets you into their house and they're totally naked, you know a lot about them. And you know a lot about him, Bison. That's the way he likes it. It shows confidence. And it shows a casual disregard for everyone else's comfort. And this is not like flashing. M. Bison probably wouldn't flash somebody because that's undignified. And also, like, that's craven. It's a hit and run. Flashing is like the fucking kidney punch of sexual harassment. You fuck off with that shit. Not M. Bison. M. Bison's style, as we've established over many episodes of MDC, is passive aggressive. If you mention, hey, I know you're very busy with a crisis in your criminal empire. Hey, I know the United Nations is planning a strike force to raid Mergonka. But would you perhaps, sir, like to put some clothes on so that you're not just hanging around naked with all of us while we're in our uniforms and our little helmets? If you mention that, that's on you. You're the one who brought it up. You're the one who's uncomfortable. I probably, I think, Bison wouldn't even, like, kill somebody for that. I don't think he's going to, like, psycho crush or somebody or, you know, stomp on their head or whatever and dispatch them. I think he's going to look to everybody else, big eye movement, everybody in the room other than the guy who mentioned it. And then dude's going to try to backtrack, but before he can, Bison's going to be like, everyone wait here. I'm going to return to the psycho drive chamber. I see that I'm making Brad uncomfortable. It's no, Brad, don't apologize. It's my fault for bringing you in on this, Brad. You don't know how we do things. That's my oversight. That's my fault. I should have seen that you were going to have a problem. It's all over your face. Clear as day. Clear as the blue vein on the upper left-hand quadrant of my large penis, Brad. So I'll go change. You stay here. And hold it down with my top generals. Keep an eye on the global criminal situation, Brad. As the world holds its breath, I will go choose pants. I think that's what M. Bison would do. And I wouldn't be surprised he's got these big, uh, puffy dictator pants. I wouldn't be surprised if he comes back and the fly is down. And you can still see it. But at this point, Brad lucked out once. I mean, that was awkward, but he dodged a bullet. I, at this stage, Brad can't not look at it. But he would rather put up with that all day than raise his hand again and say, excuse me, sir, the boys are back in town. Could you zip that up? No possibility of that. Brad is humiliated. Psychically, Brad has been crushed. And that's what M. Bison is always trying to achieve. Casual nudity is one way to do that. So I think M. Bison sleeps in the nude, and he sleeps in the psycho drive. Therefore, he is nude in the psycho drive. <laughs> anyway, that's issue one of Street Fighter. Um, but there are many more things that I've picked up from these Udon comics about the psycho drive. Uh, it's revealed in these comics that the psycho drive draws on the whole world's negative energy. And it powers, like, everything on Riganka. So in the Udon comics, the Psychodrive not only gives Bison special powers, but all this shit, like the big laser beam, the defensive measures on the island, uh, their communications technology, about which more later, 
all the cool shit on Riganka, all the stuff that makes it a great evil villain hideout, all powered by the Psycho Drive, which just like sucks in the world's negative energy and uses it as an all-purpose fuel for this evil villain headquarters, which I don't understand technologically, but I fully embrace on like a karmic level. Notably, even the uh, brainwashing technology that M. Bison uses in the comics is dependent on the psycho drive. So if you wreck the psycho drive, then like brainwashed people become unbrainwashed, which is a very tidy arrangement as a GM. Whenever you can have a, a plot device or like a comprehensive kind of adventure and dungeon defining set of defensive measures that look very robust from the outside, but then once you get past them, there's like one little box with a blinky light and once you wreck it, then everything goes away. That's your ideal scenario as a GM. Nobody wants to walk back through the death traps. So I approve of this use of the psycho drive. I would maybe incorporate that in a role-playing game. Now, the tank form is not the only form that we see in the comics. In G.I. Joe versus Street Fighter, M. Bison gets this like uh, fancy wearable psycho drive. It's kind of like one of the driving things of the comic series because what happens is like there's this like Cobra controlled or influenced company that helped M. Bison design this particular newfangled psycho drive. It's key to only his biology. It's powered by one-on-one combat, and it is man-portable, unlike the traditional psycho drive. So this is in every way an improvement, including the fact that it is fueled by an even more specific kind of villainy. Like, a psycho drive that, that is fueled by the world's negative energy, anybody in the world who loves the sweet taste of negative energy can use that psycho drive, right? Give me a Skeletor, give me a Doctor Doom, give me a Thanos, give me a Dark Side. Anybody could use the psycho drive and have, you know, the combined force of the world's misery as a viable power source. This particular psycho drive for M. Bison is fueled specifically by one-on-one combat. You kind of have to have a fighting tournament to power this psycho drive, which is seems onerous, but is exactly what M. Bison was going to do anyway. So for him, this is ideal. Only he can use it too, like biologically and all that. So Cobra has to work with Shadaloo in this comic series because Bison himself is an integral aspect of making the Psycho Drive reach its potential. Now, M. Bison actually fights in the tournament in this series. And while he is fighting the white ninja guy from G.I. Joe, which I know, I know that it is going to bother certain people that I don't know the name of the white ninja guy from G.I. Joe. This is not a G.I. Joe podcast. I'm not responsible for knowing this. When he was fighting M. Bison... And Bison starts bragging like, with this device, I am a human bomb. I will destroy the cities of the world one by one. I will hold the world within my hand with no need of Destro. Who, by the way, Destro is sitting right there. Like Destro is literally right there in a chair. And M. Bison basically turns his back and immediately is just so drunk on power that he's like, Destro, fuck Destro. And Destro's like, if you turn 180 degrees, you will see me sitting directly behind you. And I thought that we were bros. Anyway, the psycho drive in this story turns out to be no big deal because it gets hit by two ninja stars. They're thrown from behind uh, M. Bison's back. So that hits the psycho drive and like softens it up. And then Guile hits it with a sonic boom and it's destroyed. It's just, the psycho drive is wrecked. I mean, it could be repaired, but it stops working, which makes M. Bison vulnerable to, for example, concentrated attack by the world's militaries. I feel like the limitations of, of supervillain technology are exemplified by this psycho drive where Bison's plan is basically, I'm going to wear this big fucking thing on my chest. I'm going to come into my bright red getup, walk into Paris, and say, I will now destroy Paris unless you... I don't I don't really have demands. I'm here to destroy Paris. And he can do it. As long as Paris is in front of him, he is invincible. Except, But if you're behind him, then if you throw small metal objects at the psycho drive, then it will be destroyed. 
you may be able to destroy Paris in this way. But then when you move on to Berlin, I think someone in Berlin is going to have the idea. They're going to watch some tape. They're going to be like, what if we were behind him with, for example, some manner of BB gun, some manner of uh, ninja style stars? I feel like we could take this thing out. We could do this with probably one ninja or one old fashioned mischievous child in the BB gun scenario. But let's get 20, 50, 100 guys on this. Given that if this guy makes it to round two of combat, he destroys Berlin. Let's maybe just go right into initiative with uh, 100, 200 guys behind him to just throw objects at that psycho drive and kind of nip this in the bud. That would work just fine. You can't take over the world with one giant cannon that blows up when kicked from behind. In a sense, Imbison is lucky that this particular plan was foiled at the like small group gloating stage. Kind of killed in committee, this world domination plan. And I think that's good for everyone. However, while this psycho drive was not uh, big on like focused, deliberate effectiveness, it was big on side effects. Because the way that uh, G.I. Joe versus Street Fighter ends is uh, the damaged psycho drive releases modified psycho power into the air. And that gets into this guy, Rufus, who's a character from a later Street Fighter game that we didn't talk about in the main series. You can look him up if you care. He's kind of a comedy character. But anyway, the psycho power gets into him and he turns into like giant monster Rufus. And they cap off the series with this big battle scene because he uses his psycho power to like possess or create versions of all the different like Street Fighters and G.I. Joe characters who weren't in the main story. So we get to have, you know, the big fight scene with everybody's favorites. This is a pretty good way to end a crossover comic book series. Send the crowd home happy. Everybody gets to see the person they came to see. It is very bad design for the psycho drive. M. Bison is jealous of his power. So, I mean, in the in the RPG, he only taught one or maybe two people mind control which is his best power, and he's training apprentices, but he's only going to teach his best stuff to, like, one person, and they really have to pass the test. He does not want psycho power just leaking all over the place, just unpredictably turning random people into big bads. This isn't fucking Buffy. There are rules. M. Bison is the big bad guy. He sometimes gets upstaged by Akuma, but that's it. Rufus needs to sit the fuck down, and that means that Bison needs to not take leaky psycho power into battle. Anyway, uh, aside from the psycho drive, there's a lot of other interesting stuff in the Udon comics about Rigonka. Uh, the way it's portrayed from above, it looks like their version of the island is more uh, more sparse, more forested. There are, there are fewer buildings on it than the map that we see in the role-playing game. So that's not great. I, I like it jam-packed with adventure locations. Uh, we do have pointy buildings here. Um, I've actually made a little parenthetical note. Street Fighter 2 Turbo is the name of the series. Issue number one, pointy buildings confirmed. As in the map in the role-playing game, there are pointy buildings on Rigonka. Um, there are these mooks who wear berets. We sometimes see them wearing helmets in other Street Fighter media. Shadaloo mooks who wear a Shadaloo uniform are a big thing missing from the role-playing game. We have revenants. Uh, revenants suck. Revenants have no brains. They have, they have no intellect. They're full of fury, so they're they're spotlight grabbers, but they're also just they're dum-dums. They're, their minds have been rotted out, so they have a lot of emotion uh, no regular life, which is the key thing to your henchmen. You want to know when you're beating up a mook that, like, in theory, this person has a history. They have a family. They're not a threat to me. I'm beating them up. If I have to throw them off a railing, I will. But these are regular people trained poorly to fight me, and I'm winning. I feel like the humanity is an essential aspect of that. We want beret-wearing or helmet-wearing Shadaloo goons. We don't want to have to use revenants all the time. Fighting zombies is fine, but, like, who wants to take a base from an army of zombies. It's like reclaiming a house from feral cats. That's that's cleaning. We don't want to clean. We want to fight. So the other people need to be people. So I love this. I love the beret soldiers. 
Uh, note also that there is a, a dead zone jams all kind of signals, all surveillance around Mriganka, which is why people don't know much about it. You can't really surveil the island except with visual surveillance. You have to go onto the island and look around. That actually makes it plausible that Mriganka doesn't just get invaded. We don't really have a mention of this kind of thing in the role-playing game, and so there's not really a good reason to, like, why don't the world's militaries realize that fist fighting isn't going to get the job done and just bombard and fucking bomb the ever-loving psychic shit out of the island of Mriganka and just not engage on, like, the hand-to-hand martial arts level. Here there's a bit more of a reason, because if you can't do any kind of effective communication or surveillance in the vicinity of Mriganka that gives a huge tactical advantage to Bison's forces. Any struggle there is going to be very costly. If his military is any good, they're going to be able to hold out a long time if they can do telecommunications and surveillance and none of their enemies can, and it would allow Bison to bluff about the strength of his forces. So that's good. It makes it important for people to go to these tournaments that Bison throws. Because, like, remember from the role-playing game, he's got this giant fucking uh, arena for street fighting. No, No one is there. I mean, it says in the book, he's got all these seats, no one to fill them. Because why? Because this is like the world capital of nefarious, perfidious fucking evil. Why would you come here as a guest and stay in a little pointy building and participate in a sporting event here? Like, why not fight in any alley anywhere in the world rather than come to evil Disneyland to fight? The answer in the comics is, if you get an invite to Mergonka, you gotta go because nobody knows anything about Mrigonka. The only way to see it is to be invited and go there and get eyes on it and then report back. So street fighting actually becomes of like tactical and military and political uh, significance. Uh, I mentioned before that the Psycho Drive powers some kind of beam weapon. This beam weapon, it's not fucking around. I'm not 100% sure, but based on the art, it appears that Bison destroys Easter Island with this laser. It's a real serious beam. This is not some piddly laser rifle shit. This is a big boy beam that we're talking about If Easter Island is not safe, your fucking sumo wrestler with stamina five is not safe. That's important. We need need a big gun on Rigonka, so that's good. Uh, Bison can also transmit signals to every television channel on Earth at once. We're going to see in days to come. It's a big uh, telecommunications competency. Really at the core of Shadaloo. I I don't know why Bison cares about this. I don't know why it's important to him. But we're going to see across multiple media... I feel like when Bison sets up a base, the first thing he does is like, how can we fuck with the world's televisions? That's a show of strength. If you're on TV, you're important. I want to be important. Scientists, get me on TV. Uh, We also see that there is a a kind of danger room on the island, but it's better than the regular X-Men danger room. This is sort of like a combo holodeck danger room. This is for living out your fighting fantasies more so than training, I think, because Bison uses it to train Cammy. This is when Cammy is a brainwashed servant of M. Bison. That's a thing that happens in Street Fighter canon we didn't really talk about because uh, it wasn't well established at the time of the role-playing game. But like Cammy starts as an assassin for Shadaloo, and in the comic, Bison puts her in this training room and has her like role-play killing political figures. And the political figures are played by robots. They're not just force fields like a holodeck. These are real robots who are actually wrecked after she's done killing them. But while she's killing them, they're surrounded by realistic holograms so that if you're a killing aficionado, like Bison is, like Cammy was, if you got a real taste for dealing out death and destruction, these robots, we're not tearing the head off of C-3PO here, okay? That's for Philistines, that's for Wookiees. Killing one of these robots, it feels like the real thing. If you love snapping necks, but you don't like the cleanup, you don't like being in legal jeopardy, you come into this room, we got all these robots 
in alcoves around the walls. Computer, engage. Program 13C, hapless orphans on the eve of Christmas. Holograms appear from nowhere. Suddenly you are surrounded by hapless orphans. You walk across the hologram of a rooftop. Clonk, clonk, clonk. From within, a voice from inside. Listen, everyone, it's Santa Claus. You jump down the hologram of a chimney. You reach for the first of the orphans as though to stroke his curly hair. Then you grab the back of the head. You grab the jaw. Do you feel the anxiety in the pit of your stomach as I'm about to describe snapping the neck of this ruddy-cheeked orphan? I'm about to do no such thing. No orphans are harmed, but it feels like killing an orphan. This is the luxury of Mriganka. This is what I want for Mriganka. So I love the holo danger room. You do have to replace the broken robots every time. That's an expense, but I'm not going to go so far as to call it a weakness. This is luxury. You pay for luxury. One place that the Udon comics did let me down is the street fighting itself on Riganka. Instead of this giant, really cool uh, arena that we see in the role-playing game, what's shown in the comics is this really boring little stone arena with like a little stone square for people to fight on. There's no security. There's no kind of standards. We see people drive right up to the arena, like right to the side of the stone square in like personal vehicles, like drive up in their cars. No decorum. I will say a bright side here. We see not only uh, Bison watching the action from his Shadaloo-themed throne, but also Destro watching from his snake-themed throne. There's Cobra branding here for these special guests. So while the arena is very boring, and I don't think that the snake-themed throne at all raises it to the level of what I expect from a Mrigonkin arena, it shows that we can redecorate. Like there's a there's a Mrigonkin props department, there's a Mrigonkin set design department for sure, and if they were really let off their leash, then they could probably work with whatever basic arena situation we have here. This could probably look a lot better than it does, given time, given incentive. But Bison has to be the one standing in the way of this because these are VIPs. You've got fucking Destro and the Baroness coming to visit Mriganka, your home turf. As in Bison, if you want to seduce the Baroness, which of course you do, everyone does, especially the very wicked, you need to show up not just with strength, but with style. This is the occasion to go all out with design in Mrigonka. And what we saw in the comics really falls short of that. So I don't know what the disconnect is, but the arena is a big disappointment. Like I'm a street fighter, I'll fight on a sidewalk, but don't fucking fly me to a tropical island to fight on a sidewalk. Do you know what I mean? Uh, one final note about Mrigonka as depicted in the Udon comics. There is a communications room that appears to have info on everybody in Mrigonka because our heroes you know, break into the room and, and get the info that they're looking for. So this is like a full surveillance communications database. This is where all your information is, which on the one hand is convenient for a GM. It's like one room you have to break into and whatever information you need, whether it's like, what is in Bison doing right now? What does it say in his psych profile? Let me hit the Shadowloo encyclopedia and see how the psychodrive works and all this stuff. What's his schedule like for the day? All that's in one place, one convenient location. My problem with it is you can get in there with just a security code and they take advantage of the fact that they go to sneak in when the tournament's on and the base is nearly empty, they say. One room, all the secrets of Shadowloo, everything we've been trying to discover through a whole season of MDC plus these bonus episodes sitting in one room for the taking. You just enter a simple pin and you're in. The only other thing standing in the way is guards. And when there's a fight happening, I guess all the guards just run outside to watch. It's fucking disgraceful. I used to work at a coffee shop uh, on, on the corner in a cute little street in my hometown where there would occasionally be a parade. Annually, the Rhododendron Parade, a cherished local event in my small town. 
Not a lot of money, not a lot of things going on. A parade is cost-effective. Come to the Rhododendron Parade. Witness Rhododendrons, plus all the people and things you see every day, slowly walking past you. Rhododendron Parade. Anyway, for whatever reason, people give a disproportionate fuck about the Rhododendron Parade. So the coffee shop needed to be on point before and after the parade because people come and get their coffee, right? But when the parade actually goes by, everybody's outside to watch the parade. Except one person, if by chance you employ a single joyless curmudgeon, it's going to be him. One person stays inside, at least one person, maybe two people, inside the coffee shop. Because what are you going to do? Fucking empty your coffee shop slash bakery in the middle of a popular parade? People could come in and do anything. They could steal the bread. They could make themselves a coffee. They could run off with one of your AirPods. Even when there's a huge distraction, even when it's low traffic, other things are happening and no one cares about your facility. You gotta have people in there just to make sure nobody gets any ideas, just in case. You cannot have the one room in Shadaloo that contains all the secrets of Shadaloo guarded by two or three dumb fucks and berets who hear the sound of combat outside and are like, I'm sure the total omniscience room will be fine for just a few minutes. Let's go. Let's go watch those fisticuffs. It's a sunny day outside. Everybody get out there on the grass. This is not ninth grade English. You cannot get out there on the grass. You got to stay at your fucking post. So I like this room being here, but I feel like in a gaming context, it's got to be a big prize that has got to be well defended. If it's not, then M. Bison just looks like a chump. Can't have that. Especially if you're walking around with your dick out all the time. If that's your play, you got to maintain a high level of respect. Otherwise, your foes will turn around on you. The balls will be in their court. You don't want that. Uh, We're going to wrap up this episode with a quick summary of what I think we could take for the Street Fighter role-playing game from today's discussion and some things that I would not take. These titles, of course, have to match the theme of the podcast. So the things that I want to take are going to go in a segment entitled Rip Off, and it would be logical for the other section to be called something like Reject. But for some reason, I have instead fallen in love with the title disregard. So first, what will we rip off from today's discussion? The psychodrive. Number one, not just the drive itself, but the way that it functions as an externalization of Bison's weird psyche. You know, carrying it around on his chest, big clunky thing, able to destroy cities. But if you attack him from behind, then there are little explosions. And he's like, hey, just knock it off. Jeez, you guys. That's that's so in Bison. That's the embodiment of his psyche carried around in mechanical form on his chest, which is great. Likewise, the, the psycho drive back at home, the, the tank style psycho drive. Let me go sleep, not in a bed, but in a column of light in a transparent tube that converts the world's suffering into making my eyes and fists all cool and fiery. And because it makes me feel so powerful, let me get in there naked and then let me get out naked from being bathed in the world's negative energy. And let me just casually push it in people's faces. M. Bison is not going to come out of a scenario like that, lasers blazing, shooting out fire beams, whatever. In the context of a street fight, yes, he shows his power. He likes to crush people in a decisive, showy way. In the context of his personal life, it's about deniable microaggressions backed up by immense power. And I think the tube-style psychodrive really reflects that. So I would definitely take the idea that the psychodrive is the source of Bison's power, but also a metaphor for his personality. In addition to reflecting his psyche, I think... The Psycho Drive makes a really great, big, impressive set piece. It makes Bison intimidating. And as we discussed, it wrecks everything when you break it, which is great. The Psycho Drive reflects who Bison is. It's a great place to have a fight. It's a source of power for him in the fight. And then if the player characters win the fight and break the Psycho Drive, then everything else on Regonka that they've already fought their way through breaks down. 
so that they can just ride off into the sunset. And it's not like, well, we beat in Bison and saved the world. How are we going to run back past the golden statue with the laser back to our boat? How are we going to get back through the fucking jungleman? Everything just blows up. Destroy the psycho drive. Statue blows up. Laser blows up. Jungleman blow up. How? I don't know. I don't fucking know. It's powered by hate. Show me the engineering specs of a device powered by hate and explain why it can't blow up a fucking jungle man. You can't. So goodbye, jungle man. This makes everything much easier for the GM. Two other things. I also love the Holo Robo training room, but I'm going to develop that more, I think. We're going to talk more about this sort of idea in a future episode, so we'll save that. Likewise, the jamming zone that makes it really hard to do any kind of surveillance or communication near Mriganka, that is a wonderful idea. Structurally, in terms of like building up set pieces, the logic of your encounters, lots of great stuff there, but this is only the beginning of Bison's torrid love affair with telecom technology, so we're going to have to revisit that later. Finally, what do we want to disregard from today's episode? One big thing, and that is leaking psychopower. Randos just breathing in and acquiring the immense psychic powers of M. Bison. Bullshit. Not only does it not make sense from like the technological perspective, you know, I will buy hate powering a kind of like dictator charging station, but I won't like once hate gets into the air, like aerosolized hate, you just breathe it in through your fucking nose and that turns into fiery eyeballs. That To me, that's a step too far. It doesn't make sense on that level. But furthermore, on a dramatic level, I understand why maybe they needed this for G.I. Joe versus Street Fighter. In your Street Fighter campaign, you probably don't want anyone upstaging in Bison. And if you do, it is not going to be, you know, everyone within a hundred foot radius of the fucking dented hate reactor must succeed at a difficulty six stamina roll or become the big bad of a story arc. It's a bad origin for a big bad too. Like if you do want some villain to come from behind and turn out to be like a big deal, either after Bison or just before Bison, what a what a fucking disappointing origin story. Like M. Bison is floating there in the nude, big fat psychic dick suspended by the hate of the world in the air, just soaking it in, wielding psychic power that embodies all human misery through his iron will, through his deep wickedness. And then after that, you fight what? Some rando in a jumpsuit who worked in the tunnel on level eight of the Regonkin Undercity and fucking dropped a barrel of despair with his forklift. Useless. Useless origin story. Get your own thing. Akuma is totally different. For example, from M. Bison, two different villains, different styles. If anybody is going to toss Bison out of the way and become the big bad instead, it needs to be somebody with a different thing. So I would absolutely disregard the idea that psychopower can like leak out and get into people. Now, this episode has been heavy on psychopower. It's been heavy on bison psychology, heavier, frankly, on bison anatomy. But I hope that you understand that anytime I'm talking about bison's dick, I'm really talking about his id. Subtextually, this is actually a very classy podcast. But if all that is not your jam, please join me tomorrow when we will be discussing one of the great inspirations for Mriganka, Scaramanga's Island, on revisiting Mriganka. This has been Revisiting Mriganka, a bonus series from Mega Dumbcast. Contact me or check out the show wherever you want. I am Mega Dumbcast on Podbean, Twitter, Gmail, Instagram, your podcatcher of choice, etc., etc. Street Fighter and all associated trademarks are property of Capcom. This episode's music, used under a Creative Commons attribution license, is Tired Traveler on the Way Home by Andrew Codeman, whose work you can find at raskazoff.com. That's R-A-S-S-K-A-Z-O-F-F dot com. Thanks for listening. And until next time, 
I'll bust you like a nut. <laughs>